If you are new today, I just want to give you a little bit of a um, history where we've been the last couple of months. We're in a slow walk through a book of the Bible called Ephesians. Now, we take this book real seriously called the Bible, and the, the letters written in this book are very intentional, not only for the people back that first received them, but for us today. And so even though this letter was written by a man named the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in a city called Ephesus, one of the largest cities uh, in Asia at that time, they're also written to us today because many of us come from similar backgrounds. See, the Ephesians were not Jewish. They were involved in many things that were not godly. They were involved in um, idolatry, in witchcraft, magic arts, Um, exposing themselves to a lot of demonic powers that were very real in their lives. And then Paul came around and began preaching the gospel in that region, and and people fell in love with Jesus, and their lives were changed pretty dramatically. And as an act of encouragement, he wrote this letter to them to help them to grow in their faith. Now, this letter to the Ephesians is six chapters long. We're still in the very first chapter. And the first chapter really is divided into two halves. The first half is just all praise to God. Praise to God for what he's done for us. The Father had a plan for us to adopt us into his family. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for our sins to forgive us and then put his Holy Spirit within us to claim us as his and to help us live for him. The whole Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, working together for our good. That's something to praise God about, right? And then last week, we we turned a corner where he then enters into prayer. He tells the Ephesians that he's been praying for them constantly. And I don't know about you, but I encourage you last week, if you don't have somebody praying for you on a regular basis, ask someone to. Ask someone to pray for you. Share with them your needs. We need people who are constantly praying for us. And Paul was constantly praying for them. And as a result of his prayers, he was seeing spiritual growth. They were growing in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for all the people. And this whole prayer that he's entering into is a prayer about spiritual growth. And so we're going to look at that prayer today because we want to grow spiritually, don't we? We want to grow in our relationship with the Lord. And this prayer really gives us some great direction of how to pray. Already God has been speaking to many of you through the worship, through the time of communion, through the words that Sam shared. And I'm going to ask you if you just keep that heart open. Because an open heart uh, is, a, is a prime place for God than to plant the seeds of his truth. And when your heart is open, you're far more likely to hear God's voice speaking to you. So my prayer all week long has been that you would come to this place. Because many of you need to hear from the Lord. Many of you feel like God is so distant. Does he have anything to say to you? And he does. He really does. And maybe today you'll hear him more clearly than ever before. At the end of the service, we'll have a time of prayer, a time of response where you can actually come up and pray with people about what God has been saying to you. And so would you open your ears and open your heart as I prepare to read God's word from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. Paul says in this passage, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So we're going to stop there. We're going to get to the rest of the prayer next week. But, but right there he says he's praying for one singular thing, that they would know God better. 
I keep praying and asking God that you would know him better. If you are a Christian, if you've been saved, you know God to a degree. But knowing God is a lifetime pursuit. Being saved can happen in a moment. But knowing God will take the rest of your life and into eternity. See, God wants to be known. God wants to be known. I didn't know that as I grew up in church. I knew that Jesus died on a cross for my sins. I knew that God had created this place in heaven for me. But I didn't know that God wanted to be known. I just thought it was this transactional thing that, that I had this relationship with God that was just like business. Sins are forgiven. I've got a ticket to heaven. All is good. But I've learned that it's so much more. It's a relationship. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus said this. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. I always thought eternal life was heaven. He said, no, no, this is eternal life. Knowing God and knowing his son, Jesus Christ. Eternal life is not about a destination. It's about a relationship, an ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ where you know him now and you know him forever. The ancient philosophers used to say, know thyself. The apostle Paul says, know thy God. Know him because he wants to be known. For the first 16 years of my life, I didn't know that. I was a practicing agnostic. Now, if you know what an atheist is, an atheist doesn't believe there's a God. Do you know what an agnostic is? An agnostic believes there could be a God, but even if there is a God there, you can't know him. And in all practical ways, I was an agnostic because I didn't know I could know God. I knew there was a God, but I didn't think I could know him because God is so different. He made this world. He's invisible. He's everywhere at one time. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's so different than me. How could I know a God like that? It would be like a, a beetle that crawls on the floor knowing me. We're so different. And yet God has made us very unique from all creation that you and I can have a relationship with the infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal God. Isn't that amazing? He wants us to know him. Now, though God wants to be known, knowing about him is different than knowing him. And we've talked about this many different times, that those are two different things. You can know about a person without knowing a person. Many of us know about, for example, the president of the United States, whether it's this president or the last president or any president. We read in the media. We hear commentary. We, we see um, snippets on the news. We, we hear sound bites, and we get an impression of what we think that person's like. But almost always, if you talk to the insiders who know this person well, will say, that's actually a real decent human being. He's a real nice guy. He really loves people. And I hear that consistently about pretty much every single president. Knowing about someone is very different than knowing someone. And the same is true about experiences in life. You know, I, I, know, I know about pregnancy. I've seen it. I've heard about it. I've had other people describe what it's like and, and childbirth. I, you know, I can say I, I know about it, but honestly, I don't know it. You know why? Because I've never experienced it. I know about combat. I've watched the movies. I've seen the documentaries. Heard the stories. I know about combat. But frankly, I don't know combat. Somebody posted yesterday online something that I, they, might, they probably cut and pasted it from someone else's page, but it said this. My friends went off to college. I went off to serve. 
When they woke up to decide if they'd go to school or work, I woke up at 0430 for unit formation PT. When they packed their bags for vacation, I packed my entire life to move halfway across the world for a year. They made plans based on how they felt. I made plans based on the needs of my country. They couldn't wait to leave their homes. I couldn't wait to get back. Honestly, I don't know combat. I've never walked the streets of Afghanistan. I've never tiptoed around IEDs and and landmines in Iraq. I've never had sleepless nights wondering if a bomb was going to drop. I, I don't know combat. I really don't. I know about it. The word Paul uses here for knowing is a Greek word. Now, the Greek word gnosko means to know, but, but he uses a word called epigonosko, which is a more intensive word. It's knowing in a more personal, intimate, experiential way. And that's what he's speaking of here, not just to know about God, not just to know the stories about God, but to know him, to know him personally. See, in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 22 and 23, the prophet says this, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let him who boasts. This is the only time you can boast. This is the only good kind of boasting Scripture talks about. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. And for, it, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. You want something to brag about? Brag that you understand and know me, God says. That is worth boasting about. Not how strong you are, not your workout plan, not, the, not your success in business and the accumulation of awards or, or paychecks. None of that. If you want to boast, boast that you understand and know me. And see, in order to know God, you've got to understand God. And in order to understand God, you and I have to have our eyes open. And so, so Paul's praying the eyes of our understanding would be opened so we would know what God has given us. It's this process called revelation. Revelation is God taking initiative to take the lid off something so we can see it. You can't find God just by searching. You can only understand God through revelation. This Bible is a book of revelation. There's a book in it called Revelation, but the whole Bible really is revelation. It means God has revealed to us truth about himself. And when you come to know the truth about God, you start to know God. God wants to be known and invites us to know him in a very deep and personal way. God's not playing hide-and-seek with us. He's not playing, uh, playing difficult to find. He's, he's put himself out there for us to know. He wants to be known. Tim Stafford, this great book I read back when I was in college, a, a, a book says, Knowing the Face of God is the title of the book. He says, If the Bible carries one repeated message about God, it's this, that he wants to be known. And yet knowing God isn't instantaneous. It's progressive. It's progressive. It's a lifetime pursuit. We celebrate weddings. In fact, at every wedding that I've ever performed, when I introduce the bride and groom, guess what the people do? They cheer, right? They cheer. They go crazy. They start screaming, high-fiving the couple. They're all excited. But you know what? That's just the start of the relationship. Nobody's cheering as they're trying to work on their marriage. It's just this long walk of faithfulness, getting to know each other more and more. The wedding is really the invitation to go deeper, and a relation has to go deeper to be a great marriage. We just cheered someone being baptized. We cheered that. We probably won't be cheering 
all along the way as that person grows, as, as Donna learns and walks with the Lord. It's going to be a long, sometimes difficult journey to get to know God more and more. But that's the, that's the permission now, the invitation to go deeper and deeper with the Lord. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul said that was his pursuit in life. He says, I want to know Christ. It's not like he didn't know him. He just said, I want to know him more. I, I want to know by experience. I want to know intimately Jesus. I want to share in his sufferings, and, and, and I want to be raised from the dead like Jesus. He says, that's what I want for my life. I want to know him. So how do you know God? How do you know God? How do you know people? How do you know the people around you? Here's three simple things that are true of all good relationships. There's time. Time together. You can't know someone if you don't spend time with them. Many of us have some of the some great relationships in our lives. The relationships that are most dear to me are relationships established in college when I shared a dorm with many other guys, shared classes with them, people that have been in my small group, spent hours and hours every week in fellowship and study and prayer together, people I've worked alongside with in ministry, staff members, elders, other leaders in churches, all those people. And sometimes you, you're, you're put in positions where I wouldn't have chosen that person as an intimate friend. Maybe you get, you're joined in the same unit, same family, and because you spend time, guess what happens? You become closer to each other. Time is critical. Are you spending time with the Lord? You cannot grow close to the Lord unless you spend time. And I have to tell you, it's more time than an hour on Sunday morning. You're going to have a growing relationship with the Lord. It's going to take more than, a, uh, than weekend visitation. It's got to be a daily, a daily event. Secondly, talk. Being together is good, but when you're together, you got to talk. Got to open up. Words are the windows to the soul. You understand what's going on with the person as they share their stories and their struggles, their victories and their vulnerabilities. As you, if you open up about what's going on in your heart, the other person feels drawn to you and you bond together. God wants to talk with you. It's a conversation that goes both ways. We understand our part, prayer, as we talk to God, but you know God wants to talk to you. And the more I walk with the Lord, the more I'm becoming sensitive to the voice of God speaking to me. There's another T, it's trust. If you want to grow close to someone, you, you have to trust that person. Which means if a person is truly a friend of yours, you have given them permission to have personal information that they could use to hurt you, but they choose not to. So maybe it's secrets. Maybe it's personal issues you share with that person and they guard it. And because of that trust being developed, you grow close. How, how in the world can a person call God their rock unless they were in a place of life where everything was crumbling and they needed something firm to stand on. How can someone call God their healer unless in the point of pain, their point of sickness, they cried out to God for him to, to deliver them from that? How, how can we know God as our redeemer unless we know the depth and the pain of our sin and call out to him for grace? It's in those moments where we, where we connect with the Lord that we truly know him, not just as a figure in the scriptures, but personal to us. God wants to be known. He wants us to continue to know him through our lives. Now, you won't know everything about God. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we know in part, and then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. I can't know everything here. Maybe I won't know everything, but in heaven I'll know far more than I know here. But right now I'm going to press on to know God 
more and more and more. I've got this incredible device called the cell phone. And of course, it can make phone calls. We know that. But it does so much more. And I'm amazed sometimes at, at what these devices can do. In fact, I have a feeling that I've only tapped into less than 5% of the potential of this device. And so I, I get around someone like Dustin Fisher, who's, a, who's an iPhone geek, and, uh, and he, he knows all these other things that I don't even bother to, to, to use. So one day I said, hey, Dustin, I lost my Apple TV remote control. How much do those things cost to, to replace? He goes, I don't know, I think they're like $30. But he said, if you swipe up your phone, you actually have a remote control for your, iPhone, uh, for your Apple TV right on your phone. I said, you're kidding. Now when he showed me a few other things, I said, oh, I wonder what that was. That's what that thing does. We have so much in our hand that we don't even know we have. And here's the truth. As Paul's praying, he's not, he's not praying for anything new. He's not praying that they get something they haven't already received. What he's praying is that they would fully understand what they've already been given. Notice this about Paul. He doesn't say, Lord, bless them. He says, Lord, help them to understand how blessed they are. Many of you, this would, this would change your prayer life. Quit asking God to bless the people he's already blessed. Pray that they would understand how blessed they already are. That their eyes would be open and they would see. That they would be enlightened to the truth about what God has done. And so Paul gets very specific in three areas of growth that they should know more about. That they should experience. And the first one is this. That they would know the hope of their calling. Do you know the hope of your calling? My wife has a favorite word in the Bible. It's this word hope. Do you know what it means? It's one of those great Bible words. Hope in Scripture is not wishful thinking. It's not crossing your fingers, hoping something happens. Hope is a confident expectation of something good that is coming. Confident expectation. I know it's coming. Like you know Christmas is coming? I know it's coming. Hope means I know what God has promised, and I know with great confidence it is going to happen. I can't understand it that sometimes Christians are the most worrisome people in the world when we should be the most optimistic, when the stock market crashes, when wars break out, when disease is rampant, when crime is everywhere and there's corruption in government, all these things, we should be the most optimistic people saying a better day is coming. Things aren't as bad as they look as we go forward. This isn't the end. God has a great future in store for us. He has a place called heaven. We're heading to a great place a place called heaven. Now, for these Ephesians, it's pretty significant that they know where they're heading because Paul tells them in the second chapter, at one time, you guys were without hope and without God in this world. But not any longer. You have hope and you have God. In, in Philippians 3, in fact, I'm going to read a, a couple passages from Philippians and Colossians, letters that Paul wrote from the very same prison he wrote Ephesians from, at the very similar time that he wrote, and that's why you have very similar themes in all three books. So in Philippians chapter 3, he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me where? Heavenward. That's, that's where he's called me to, this hope of heaven. He's called me heavenward. That is where I am going. In Colossians chapter 3, the second verse is, set your mind on things above. Now, we, we don't do that very often in our culture. A lot of the great old Bible hymns spoke about heaven, but we don't talk about it as much anymore. And I think because we're afraid, 
that we can become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. You may have heard people say that. All Christians, they they just keep thinking of of the by and by, but not the here and now. And I'm living right here and now, and I need a gospel that affects me right here and now. But you know, the opposite can be true. You can be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. Meaning, you are so wrapped up in the things of this earth that you have no hope of what's to come and nobody wants to go where you're going. And we need to balance. Yes, we, we live for Christ here, but we're going to a place that's far better. A place that he has made for us. Now, you may be thinking that because Paul's in prison, he's got to be thinking that way. I mean, you're staring at a wall. It's all dirty and filthy and cold. Or in his case here, it may have just been he's locked up in a house where he can't go anywhere. What's he thinking about? Of course he's thinking about heaven. People in prison often have more pure thoughts of what's to come. But think about this. When you think about heaven, what is it you're thinking about? Are you thinking about streets of gold and and no more sickness and how beautiful and wonderful everything is? I know heaven will have a lot of great stuff. I really do. The Bible talks about that. But you know what the heart of heaven is? Heaven is not so much about a place as it is a person. Jesus said before he left this earth, I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. To be with me forever. Heaven is being with Jesus forever. It's not being in this cold, sterile, beautiful place. It's being with Jesus. I don't care if it's streets of gold. If it's a, if it's a tent by the river with Jesus, I'm in. It's with him. That's what happened. So Hebrews chapter 3, first verse, tells us this. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Think about Jesus. Think about your relationship with Jesus. There's a man that I admire in the Old Testament. His name was Enoch. You can read about it in the very early part of the book of Genesis. It was back in the days when they lived hundreds of years. It says when Enoch was 65 years old, he began to walk with the Lord. It says he walked with God for 300 years, and then God took him, and he was no more. The book of Hebrews says that he never tasted death. It was almost as if once he started this journey with God, they got so close that God says, you know what? I'm tired of the distance. Why don't you come up here now? Let's continue this journey forever in a more intimate way. I love that idea of walking with God through the rest of my life. And I hope that you know God wants to walk with you through the rest of your life. He made you and I to have a relationship with him. That is the hope of our calling. He wants them also to know the riches of his or their inheritance. Now, I put the slash in there because it could go either way. This could mean God's inheritance, which is a very biblical truth, that we as the church are, are God's inheritance. In fact, in the Old Testament, God says it this way in Deuteronomy 32.9, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob has allotted inheritance. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, we now, believers in Jesus, are God's very own possession. So in a sense, that, that's true. We are God's inheritance. But I think the context of what Paul is praying for here is, is to help the believers know what their inheritance is. And there's more scriptures that talk about that. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 3, 
Excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So here we have this hope, this hope that is ours, this inheritance. The riches that God has stored up for us in heaven where they'll never fade, never spoil, never decay, prepared for us. Do you know your inheritance? Do you know what's coming for you? Are you banking everything on this life or are you looking forward to the next? If things break down, if things fall apart, even your own body, know this. There's better yet to come. Do you know what you have? I was reading a story this week of a man, 64 years old from New Jersey, who heard on the news that there was a winning lottery ticket that was about to expire in just a couple days. $24 million winning ticket that nobody had cashed in. And so the news people were encouraging people, check your shirt pockets, check your glove box, reach into your cushions, see if there's any tickets out there because somebody has this winning ticket and they will lose the money if they don't turn it in in the next couple days. So this man who says that he's been buying lottery tickets since 1960, but often never bothered to check the numbers on his tickets, decided to start looking through the tickets he had laying around the house. And one of those tickets was tucked in a T-shirt that was hanging in his closet. He pulled that ticket out, and he could not believe what he saw. Every number matched. He had to actually walk outside and get some fresh air because he said, I can't believe this. Oh, my goodness. Now, what bothers me is the fact that this guy had a a T-shirt that he had worn hanging in his closet for a year. And I sure hope this guy bought a brand new washing machine with his $24 million winnings. But, you know, I have a feeling we're walking around with a winning book. And many of us said, you know, I've known it's been there. The Bible's been on my shelf. It's been over there for so long. I just have never bothered to look at it. Well, shame on you because you're missing your inheritance that God speaks about in this book of all that is ours in Christ Jesus. We are richly blessed. Even if God never blesses us more, he's already blessed us abundantly. And then Paul prays that they would know the power of Jesus' resurrection. He says that you would know this incomparably great power for us who believe. It's just not a power. It's just not power It's a great power. It's not just a great power. It's an incomparably, or some of your Bibles will say exceedingly great power. It is a power like no other power. And who does it belong to? Us who believe. Now, the word power there is a Greek word. This is your second Greek word for the day. Dunamis. From which we get dynamo. From which we get dynamic. From which we get Dynamite. He says the power, the dynamite of God, this extreme great power of God is yours. Now, this word power means ability. means that God has given you the capability to do what's beyond yourself. Isn't that amazing? God says, I'm giving you a power to do something that's even Beyond yourself. Because I'll tell you from firsthand experience, 
Living for the Lord is difficult. Living for the Lord will make you weary. Serving the Lord is hard. And you know why it's so hard? You have your own human nature, your sinful nature pushing against you. Do you know what else? You have a whole culture around you that's pushing against you. Do you know what else? You have a spiritual enemy called Satan who's fighting against you, lobbying uh, bombs over your direction, shooting darts at you, trying to bring you down. Do you know why it's so hard to live the Christian life? It seems like every force around you is opposing you. And yet, God says, I'm going to give you a power and ability to succeed in this. That's why those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. There is a strength in the Lord. I, I, can't, I can't quite describe it. It's not, just a, it's not really a physical strength. It's not going to give you bigger muscles, but it does affect you physically because it enables you to do things even physically beyond what you could do, to press on, to have, have an energy to carry you. I know as I get older, my body doesn't bounce back as quick. My body hurts more. I need a little more sleep. You know, all these things about the body, but you know what? My spiritual energy is as strong as it's ever been because the Lord, like the Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who does what? strengthens me. When, when Jesus sent his disciples out, he says, you guys are to go out into all the world, make disciples of all the nations. Uh, but wait, wait, you, gotta, you, you need to hold on. Don't go yet because you need something. In Acts 1, verse 8, he says, here's what you need. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Don't go and try to do this on your own strength. You'll fail. You need power. And the power is going to come through the Holy Spirit living in you. That power is going to give you courage to face unbelievable persecution. It's going to give you clarity to speak the truth in very, very difficult places. He's going to enable you to press on against all those forces that will come against you. This power is yours. In fact, he says, this is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power is living in you through the Holy Spirit. I believe, friends, that our culture has an energy crisis, but it's not an energy of coal or, or oil or renewable energy sources. It's a, it's a crisis of power for godly living, for compassion, for mercy, for love. We need a power that helps us control our tongues. We need a power to help us to be generous and gracious and forgiving. We need a power that enables us to, to do things unselfishly. And that power comes from the Lord. It's incomparable. It's immeasurable. It's great. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, you, you've tasted this, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were raised with him through your faith in the working of God, that power of God who raised him from the dead. If you have accepted Christ, if you've been born again, if you've experienced that transformation of your heart, you've tasted it, and there's more to come. That power is at work within you. Some of you are running low on power. You're feeling like giving up on your Christian faith. You're feeling like quitting the job you're in. You feel like breaking off a relationship or even, even ending your marriage. Some of you are even contemplating taking your own life. Why? Because you lack the power to go on. I have a battery pack that allows me to speak through this microphone. And in these battery packs are these little white batteries. They're rechargeable batteries. 
And when they get low, do you know what they do with it? They just put this in a charger, a charger that's tapped into an infinite amount of power. And as long as these little terminals make contact, the power starts to flow from the outside into this little thing here till it fills up. If you want to receive God's power, you've got to make contact. You've got to be in contact with the source of the power, and that is the Lord Jesus. He's a source of power. He's a source of every good thing, all the riches in your life. He's a source of the hope. In fact, the Bible says, in Jesus are all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything we'd ever want in life is actually found in Christ. When you have Christ, you have it all. But do you know that? Do you know all that you have in Christ? Many of you just aren't tapping into what you already have been given through Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you today, make contact. He wants to know you. You can't just do it on a short little period on Sunday morning. It's a lifetime. It's, a, it's day by day contact in the Lord.